Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's an important day for the future of the Supreme Court and for the United States of America, an announcement that will have a profound effect on both for decades to come. Today, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement, which means President Trump will be able to name a second justice to the highest court in the land. Justice Kennedy, of course, was a Republican appointment named to the court by Ronald Reagan. Over the years, he sometimes sided with conservatives, other times with liberals. He wrote the ruling that legalized marriage for same-sex couples. He upheld Roe v. Wade in 1992. Now, with his retirement, the makeup of the court will be changing at a time when there are crucial issues that will be decided, among them not just abortion rights, but affirmative action, the death penalty, the presidential subpoena, religious freedom and civil rights protections for gay and lesbian citizens. The political battle has already begun with some Democratic lawmakers saying there shouldn't be a vote until after the midterms, what some are calling the Mitch McConnell rule, since the Senate Majority Leader refused to hold a confirmation hearing for President Obama's pick, Merrick Garland. We're going to have more on the reaction from Congress in a moment. Senator Bernie Sanders joins us as well. We'll get into a lot of the important detail also about Justice Kennedy's impact on the court and what the future may hold. But first, I want to get the president's reaction. He's speaking at a rally in Fargo, North Dakota tonight. Our senior White House correspondent, Jeff Zeleny, is there, joins us now. Was the president aware that this was going to happen today or did it come as a surprise as it did to many people? Anderson, it was a complete surprise to President Trump. Uh, he will be arriving here in North Dakota shortly, but I am told by his advisors he had no idea this was happening. And in fact, Justice Kennedy was inside the White House, I'm told, before President Trump knew that he indeed had a meeting with the retiring justice. The justice been on the bench 30 years on the Supreme Court, and he brought over his retirement letter uh, directly to the president to have that one-on-one conversation. And Anderson, uh, President Trump thanked him for his service, but he also asked him for uh, you know, some suggestions for who should fill his seat. That was certainly an interesting conversation. Do, do we know, will the president's pick to replace Kennedy come from the, the previously released list of 25 candidates that, that he released during the campaign? He did. Uh, President Trump said, look, he is going to pick from one of the 25 uh, members, uh, people on that list. And the list came about in an interesting way. When the president was running for office, he put out a list of 20 potential Supreme Court justices. He was trying to sort of ease conservatives uh, sort of who had some questions about if he should, you know, was deeply conservative enough. But the president also added five more names to that list just last November, and they released that list of 25 names. There a variety of judges, mainly appellate court judges, federal judges, uh, kind of the tried and true conservatives you would expect. But it is going to be one person from that list. And, and Jeff, I mean, it's certainly another campaign promise fulfilled by the president. Uh, he would certainly understandably want to take a victory lap on that even tonight. 
and I do expect the president to take a victory lap. He has just landed here in Fargo. He is campaigning in one of the key competitive Senate races. This is, of course, a deep red state. He won by uh, 36 percentage points in 2016. It's also represented by a Democrat in the Senate, Heidi Heitkamp. She, of course, is breaking ranks with other Democrats, saying that there should be a vote sooner rather than later. But Anderson, one thing is clear. The surefire way to fire up conservatives, the surefire way to get skeptical Republicans on President Trump's side is by appointing conservative jurists to the bench. And there is no question this is a monumentous uh, decision he's about to make. And it's no question he has reshaped the federal judiciary. So this is music to uh, his, his team's ears, particularly in the midterm elections. This will fire up conservatives, Anderson, unlike anything else has. Yeah, Jeff Yellen. Jeff, thanks very much. Our congressional correspondent, Phil Mattingly, joins us now from Capitol Hill. So the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, said today that there will be a confirmation vote this fall. How's that playing out on the Hill tonight? Yeah, bare-knuckle brawl, Anderson. That's how one Democratic senator described what you can expect to transpire over the coming weeks. One driven by sharp bitterness, political bitterness, over what happened in 2016. A Democratic Supreme Court nominee not even getting a hearing, let alone a vote, and also a clear recognition of the potential seismic shift that could occur on the court. Now, you mentioned some Democrats, including almost all of the leaders, saying that there should be no vote at all, citing 2016. This is what Democratic leader Chuck Schumer had to say. Our Republican colleagues in the Senate should follow the rule they set in 2016, not to consider a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Senator McConnell would tell anyone who listened that the Senate had the right to advise and consent, and that was every bit as important as the President's right to nominate. Millions of people are just months away from determining the senators who should vote to confirm or reject the president's nominee, and their voices deserve to be heard now, as Leader McConnell thought they should deserve to be heard then. Anything but that would be the absolute height of hypocrisy. And Anderson, Republicans have countered that 2016 was a presidential year. This is a midterm year. President Obama got a Supreme Court nominee confirmed in 2010, Elena Kagan. And that is the apples to apples comparison. Regardless of the rules or the precedents, the chamber will consider and will vote on somebody, as Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, by this fall. It's worth noting for McConnell, this isn't just the judiciary in general, but especially the Supreme Court, the most important issue for him personally, one that he talks about constantly. Worth also noting, the Republican machinery here, millions of dollars from outside groups, grassroots activists urging senators to support this nomination is soon to be kicked into gear. Despite what Democrats want, Republicans are very clearly moving forward on this, Anderson. So, I mean, is there anything Democrats might do to delay or or block the confirmation process until after the midterm elections? Yeah, this is an important bottom line. If every single Republican votes for whoever President Trump nominates, that individual will be confirmed. There is no longer a 60-vote threshold on a Supreme Court nominee. It will only take 51, and Republicans have the number of senators to move that on their own. That's why you're hearing a couple things from Democrats, Anderson. One is they want their own grassroots push. I've heard they're going to push millions of dollars trying to put pressure on senators to get them to flip. They're also keenly aware that they have a lot of red state senators who are up 
up for re-election in 2018 that they need to mind as well, three of whom voted for Neil Gorsuch, President Trump's 2017 Supreme Court pick. I would point to two senators on the Republican side you need to keep a very close eye on, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. There's going to be and has been a lot of talk about what this will mean for Roe versus Wade. Those are two pro-choice Republican senators who have made very clear that the precedent on Roe versus Wade is one that they want to stand. Whoever President Trump picks and how that individual answers questions related to Roe versus Wade could go a long way to determining not whether Democrats will support them, but whether all Republicans will end up supporting that mm-hmm. nomination and get it to the finish line, Anderson. Yeah, it's going to be quite a battle. Phil Madeline, thanks. Just before air, I spoke with Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator Sanders, Senator Blumenthal calls Kennedy's announcement earth-shaking, gut-wrenching. Uh, or Jeff Tubin says in 18 months, abortion will be illegal in some 20 states. Is this potentially the end of Roe v. Wade? Well, you know, it's ironic. The polling is very clear that the overwhelming majority of the American people support Roe versus Wade. We have differences of opinion on abortion. But the idea of overturning Roe versus Wade would be a, a, a decision that reflects only a small minority of the American people. So I hope very much that the next nominee to the uh, for the Supreme Court does not hold that position. But the bottom line is this is obviously an enormously, enormously important issue. Everything to do with women's rights, having to do with gay rights, having to do with solidifying the pro-corporate anti-worker wing of the uh, Supreme Court. Do you have any confidence that President Trump uh, would appoint somebody to your liking? I mean, it certainly seems that, you know, he, he did publish a list uh, during the campaign of, of potential nominees. Uh, Gorsuch was on that list and he's indicated this next one will come from that list as well. No, I have no hope that he will appoint anything resembling a moderate uh, or uh, a justice uh, who will take both sides into, consider- into consideration. I think what we're looking for is the uh, nomination of a right-wing extremist. Uh, I would say this, Anderson. Uh, you may recall that when Merritt Garland's uh, nomination was brought forth uh, by uh, President Obama, Uh, Mitch McConnell said, let the American people decide you shouldn't be considering this important nomination uh, just before an election. And he obstructed it and refused to allow a vote to take place. I would say to Mitch McConnell, remember what you said when Obama was president. Let the American people have a vote in November as to whether or not they want to overturn Roe versus Wade, whether they want to allow discrimination against uh, the gay and lesbian community. Uh, whether or not they want uh, votes to uh, make life harder for the working people of this country. Remember what you said when Obama was president. And the second point that I would make, Anderson, is that we have some, few, very few, but we have some Republicans here in the Senate who believe that it should be a woman who controls her own body and not the state or federal government. And I hope that they will work with those of us who hold that position uh, in opposition to any nominee who wants to take away that basic right that women should have. Uh, on what you said about Mitch McConnell, uh, your Democratic Senate co- colleagues ha- have been accusing uh, McConnell of hypocrisy. If the shoe, though, was on the other foot and Justice Kennedy retired under a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress just before midterms, wouldn't Democrats also push to get a new nominee through? Well, I think you need some consistency here. I mean, we have the most recent example, and that is President Obama nominated an individual to the Supreme Court, by the way, a pretty moderate guy. Uh, And the Republican leadership said, no, we're not going to let you vote on him. Uh, We should have an election first. So all I would say here is 
that I would hope that Mitch McConnell remembers what he said uh, when Obama was president. If it, if it does not go the way you would like it to go and, and Roe v. Wade is, uh, is overturned by the Supreme Court and it is made illegal in as many as 20 states, as Jeff Tubin mentioned, how big a drive do you think that will be for, uh, for the left, for, for, uh, for, for all people who uh, are, are supportive of, of the right, to, uh, the right to, to have an abortion? I think it's a, it would be a very uh, important factor in bringing people out to the polls. Uh, you know, we, there are differences of opinion in this country about abortion, when abortion should be legal or not. I'm very strongly pro-choice. But as I said earlier, the vast majority of the people believe that Roe versus Wade is the law of the land and should remain the law of the land. And I think that if Trump nominates somebody who wants to undo uh, that constitutional right that women now have, you're going to see a massive uprising on the part of people all over this country, not just women, but men who think that that decision should be left to women and not to the government. And just finally, I want to ask you about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's uh, primary win in New York last night. She's a Democratic Socialist aligned with you on many issues. Uh, Minority Leader Pelosi says this is just one choice in one district. People shouldn't get carried away. Is this just one choice in, in one district? Is it larger well, than that? How do you see it? I think it is larger than that. I think if you look at what happened in Maryland last night, Ben Jealous won a very strong uh, victory, uh, taking on uh, much of the Democratic establishment in Maryland. Uh, campaigning on Medicare for all, raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, uh, legalizing marijuana, making public colleges and universities tuition free, uh, demanding the wealthy stop paying more in taxes. So I think what you are seeing both in New York City with Alexandria, uh, in Maryland with Ben, are strong candidates running grassroots campaigns uh, on a progressive agenda. And I think when you have that combination, you're going to see more and more victories all across this country. Senator Bernie Sanders, appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you. Well, coming up in the hour ahead, a look at the legacy that Justice Kennedy is leaving behind as he retires. The key cases he has been the deciding vote for. That's why this is so important. And more about what happens next, including more in that potential battle over Roe v. Wade. Also ahead, it looks like President Trump will indeed soon meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. What the White House said today about uh, when it's going to take place and, uh, and a guest who has some serious warnings about it ahead. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. With the announcement that Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring, the Supreme Court is losing a crucial swing vote. Someone who's sided with conservatives on issues like gun control, but with liberals on abortion rights and the right of same-sex couples to marry. We'll be talking a lot about how the makeup of the court is going to change and how rulings like Roe v. Wade could very well be impacted. But first, a quick look at Justice Kennedy's legacy, or Jessica Schneider has more. The whole object of the judiciary is to ensure stability, continuity. And so we pride ourselves on the fact that there's little change. But Justice Anthony Kennedy's time for change has come. We as a people are bound together. 
Kennedy, now 81 years old, swore in the newest justice to join the court last year, his former clerk, Neil Gorsuch. I, Neil M. Gorsuch, do solemnly swear. While President Trump replaced one conservative with another when he chose Gorsuch to take Justice Antonin Scalia's seat, he now has the opportunity to move the court significantly to the right when he replaces Kennedy, a centrist, and the court's so-called swing vote. The cases swing, I don't. (laughs) Kennedy has never liked that swing vote label, but for years it has been his vote that has often decided the outcome of cases in a closely divided court. Thank you for coming to witness this historic occasion. Kennedy, a Ronald Reagan appointee, I am Kennedy, you solemnly swear. was sworn in in 1988. I shall honor the Constitution. He sided with his conservative colleagues on issues such as gun control and voting rights. He authored the majority opinion in Citizens United, striking down election spending limits for corporations. So help me God. Congratulations. And in Bush v. Gore, he helped clear the way for George W. Bush's presidency. But to the dismay of those on the right, Kennedy joined the liberals on the court on abortion, affirmative action, and the death penalty. His most lasting legacy will likely be in the area of gay rights. In 2015, Kennedy penned a landmark opinion, clearing the way for same-sex marriage nationwide. They asked for equal dignity in the eyes of the law, and the Constitution grants them that right. Anthony Kennedy grew up in a conservative Catholic family in Sacramento, California. But there was something that offended him from the very beginning about discrimination against gay people. And his principal legacy on the court will be as the father of constitutional protections for gay rights and for marriage equality in the United States. But Kennedy this term tried to strike a balance between gay rights and religious freedom. Everyone deserves the cake! When he wrote the majority opinion, siding with a Colorado baker who refused to make a custom wedding cake for two gay men. In his opinion, Kennedy acknowledged the baker's sincere religious beliefs that motivated his objection, but warned against the broad use of religion to justify denying same-sex couples goods and services, writing, any decision in favor of the baker would have to be sufficiently constrained. In 2009, Kennedy offered a rare glimpse of what it's like to be behind the scenes on closely divided cases. There are not a lot of high fives and back slaps, and uh, there's a moment of quiet, a moment of respect. Maybe even sometimes awe at the process. We realize that one of us is going to have to write out a decision which teaches and gives reasons for what we do. As time proved him to be one of the most unpredictable justices, personal dignity and liberty were always themes in Anthony Kennedy's jurisprudence. Jessica Schneider, CNN, Washington. Well, joining me now is CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin, who knows a lot about the court, is the author of two bestsellers on it, constitutional law scholar Jonathan Turley and CNN Chief Political Analyst Gloria Borger. Jeff, I heard you say earlier that within 18 months... Um, that uh, abortion could be illegal in as many as 20 states. No, I said abortion will be illegal in as many as 20 states because Roe v. Wade is dead today. I mean, this has been a conservative project since Roe was passed and it was came out in 1973. Uh, if you look at who is behind um, the the judicial selection process in the Trump administration, the Federalist Society, the Heritage Foundation, they have been moving towards this moment for all this time. If you look at the 25 candidates, every single one of them is well to the right of Anthony Kennedy. 
States read the newspaper. States follow the news. They know in Texas, in Mississippi, in South Dakota, that the Supreme Court has changed. So they are going to pass laws prohibiting abortion and dare the Supreme Court to strike them down. And it's not going to happen. And we are going to be a different country sooner rather than later. Professor Turley, do you share uh, Jeff's vision on, on that, particularly on, on Roe v. Wade? And also, what other major issues potentially coming before the court could, uh, could be altered? I've never encountered Jeff's inner eye, uh, that he, he's able to see such things, uh, but that's uh, particularly apocalyptic. Uh, I, that could come about, and it just might not. You, know, you do have institutionalists on the court, like John Roberts, who make it a bit of sticker shock in overturning decisions of this kind. Where I do think Jeff is right is that, in the very least, we're going to see uh, chipping away at doctrines like Roe v. Wade, uh, Roe v. Wade can essentially be undone with a thousand paper cuts. That can be done on the edges through restrictions. That's probably more likely, but it's very hard to tell. I think that what you have to be most concerned about for, for libertarians and civil libertarians is that much of Kennedy's legacy uh, is a 5-4 beat. You know, it, is, it, it, it holds by a single vote his own. Um, that makes his legacy perhaps the most vulnerable on the Supreme Court. It's immense, but it's also quite fragile. Gloria, I mean, there's some Democratic senators saying any nomination shouldn't be voted on until at least next January after the midterms, sure. uh, based on what Mitch McConnell uh, had, had done, refusing uh, the vote on President Obama's uh, selection until after a new president was sworn in. Do you actually see that? I mean, it's hard to see a scenario where that plays out in the Democrats' favor. Right. Look, the, the Democrats are going to wage a fight and they're going to fight really hard because this is very important to them and it's important to their base. But they know that they don't have any leverage here. They've lost the filibuster, as Phil Mattingly was was pointing out earlier. So this can be passed with 51 votes. So what they're left trying to do, and they will talk a lot about Roe versus Wade, because this is important to them. It's important to women who are the backbone now of the Democratic Party. And what they're going to try and do is corral all their 49 Democrats and see if they can get them to stick together. And that's going to be tough because there are a bunch of red state Democrats uh, who might just vote for a Republican nominee. Three uh, Democrats voted for Gorsuch last time. And then they have to hope that the nominee is is so objectionable that somebody like Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski, who are moderates and who are pro-choice, would actually oppose a nominee of their own party. So they have a very, very uphill battle here, but that doesn't mean they're not going to really fight. Uh, I, everyone stay with us. I've got to get a quick break in, but I want to get everybody's take on something else. The vice president is speaking out, sharing who he thinks will replace Justice Kennedy. Details in uh, your reaction in a moment. In a minute. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. We're now in a breaking news. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring, as you know, at the end of July, giving President Trump another chance to reshape the highest court in the land. Now, as we mentioned, Kennedy's voting record was moderately conservative. He was known for being a swing vote, a defender of uh, equal rights for gay and lesbians, Roe v. Wade. But his replacement, according to uh, Vice President Mike Pence, will be more to the right. The vice president writing on Twitter this afternoon, I quote, thank you to Justice Anthony Kennedy for your long career of service on the SCOTUS. POTUS. Trump will nominate a strong conservative in the tradition of the late Justice Scalia, who will uphold all the God-given liberties enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. 
back now with the panel. Um, Gloria, with the tweet from the vice president, I mean, it seems to eliminate any prospect of President Trump nominating a moderate conservative uh, like a Justice Kennedy or, you know, invoking Scalia instead. Absolutely. It was sort of like, thanks, Kennedy, but we really like Scalia better. And what we're going to do now is nominate somebody who wouldn't have uh, given um, approved gay marriage or access to abortion or affirmative action. And he made it very clear that uh, the president's going to nominate someone to the right. And I think anybody who thinks otherwise is fooling themselves. Everybody on that list uh, is a conservative. The president intends to do it. This is important to his base, particularly evangelicals. And it's going to be a large part of his legacy. Jeff, I mean, the president says he has a list of 25 names. Who do you think the front runners are right now? Well, some of them are are, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who is uh, a judge on the D.C. Circuit, the second most important judge uh, court in the country. He also uh, wrote the dirty parts of the Starr Report when he worked for Kenneth Starr in the special (laughs) counsel's investigation. Uh, Amy Barrett, a former professor at Notre Dame Law School, um, who was just confirmed to the Seventh Circuit. Uh, Raymond Kethridge, uh, another court of appeals judge, who was uh, a clerk to Anthony Kennedy. And uh, a multi- tr- uh, this is a name I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce better, Thapar, who is um, a protege of Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, uh, who was just confirmed um, to the Sixth Circuit. And uh, he would be the first South Asian on the court. But what they all have in common is that there is not a shred, there is not a hint of moderation in any of their records. They are stone-cold conservatives, which is totally, I mean, it's not, which is um, a grand tradition in American law, but it is definitely not Anthony Kennedy's tradition, and it is a tradition that will allow for, you know, um, an expansion of Second Amendment rights so that you can have a bazooka, perhaps, as well as a handgun, that you can uh, end uh, affirmative action for um, African-American students. Um, If you're a religious person, you can ban gay people from your store, from your hotel, from your restaurant. I mean, these are the issues that are going to come up And this is why these people, as Mike Pence quite honestly pointed out, that's what they want on the court. Professor Trillium, another name being floated is conservative Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah. He actually said today he wouldn't say no to being considered. Would that be a strategic way to temper efforts by some senators to block a vote if the nominee was one of their own? I don't think it would really succeed in in that at all. I think the politics here are already baked in on both sides. You know, I, I was a great fan of uh, Justice Kennedy, will continue to be so. Uh, he has a strong libertarian aspect that I, 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 I enjoyed. But um, the, the fact is that the one thing you can't say about President Trump is that he failed to deliver on his promises. More than any president in my lifetime, he's made good on those promises. You might not have liked them, but he's made good on them. And the biggest promise he made over and over again, like a mantra, was that he was going to move this court to the right. And everyone understood he was talking about Kennedy's seat. And I have no doubt that he will deliver on that. And I agree with Jeff uh, that everyone on this list is definitely to the right of him. You can only move even slightly to the right with Kennedy and produce cascading effects. Uh, So even the slightly Mm. more conservative nominee could produce sweeping changes across half a dozen areas of law. Fascinating. Uh, Professor Turley, thank you. Jeff Tubin as well. Thank Gloria you. Borger. Coming up, officials say that President Trump will soon sit down with uh, Russia's President Vladimir Putin. We're going to have the latest details on when and where that, might, that meeting might take place and what may be on the agenda. 
I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Administration officials are laying the groundwork for a meeting between President Trump and Vladimir Putin, perhaps either in Helsinki or in Vienna. Now, some of the details were finalized today in Moscow, where National Security Advisor John Bolton met with Putin. The final announcement is scheduled for tomorrow. Bolton says a face-to-face meeting would, as he put it, benefit the world. There are skeptics, however, among them retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters, who's made no secret of his opinion that Putin may have some sort of a grip on President Trump. Colonel Peters joins me tonight. Colonel Peters, as someone who's been critical of President Trump's praise of Vladimir Putin and and has raised questions about whether the the Russian president has something on the president, I'm wondering what your reaction is to the idea of this uh, upcoming summit. Well, summits may be normal in general, but with the specific characters of Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, it's cause for alarm. Because as we know before, Trump ducked off with just a Russian translator and Putin. And if John Bolton can do one service for his country during this upcoming summit, it will be to do all he can to prevent a one-on-one Putin-Trump meeting behind closed doors with just a Russian translator present. Because Putin is a brilliant case officer. He knows how to work Trump. He studies him. And our president is impulsive uh, and undisciplined. And we don't know what he might blurt out which secrets he might blurt out. We don't know what he might agree to behind closed doors. We are, unfortunately, uh, Anderson, we have a president we cannot trust. It's interesting because, you know, past presidents have said, you know, the I think it was George W. Bush, he said, you know, he looked into the eyes of Vladimir Putin and, and, and reflected on, on what he felt he saw. Um, it is very easy to project something onto another, onto another person. As you said, Vladimir Putin is a uh, you know is an intelligence operative who studies President Trump closely. Yes, indeed, and also, um, of course, Barack Obama was caught on a hot mic telling Medvedev right. that after the election he could do more for for Vladimir. And three presidents in a row now have imagined that they could deal with Vladimir Putin, that they could somehow work to our benefit and the world's benefit. And Putin has devoured each one of them. He's devouring Trump, whether or not he does have something on Trump. In fact, Anderson, there are four lines from A.E. Hausman that can express the Trump-Putin relationship better than I could myself. And that's, the Russian bear is huge and wild. It has devoured the infant child. The infant child is not aware it has been eaten by the bear. Hmm. And President Trump is that infant child. You know, earlier today, uh, President Trump said, quote, it's good for the world, it's good for us. I'm wondering what message it sends to allies, to Germany, to France, to, to Canada, um, the idea of this, this, this meeting, whatever, whatever may come out, come out of it, given Russia's stance uh, in Crimea and elsewhere. Well, they're terrified. And they rightfully should be terrified because our president is so unpredictable. He doesn't do his homework. He doesn't seem to understand the context of why those sanctions are in place. Vladimir Putin invaded a neighboring country twice. He assassinates dissidents. He assassinates journalists. He's, his forces have committed 
untold atrocities in Syria. Uh, he's worked to undermine our election, to undermine European elections with quite a bit of success. But we need people to ride herd on this president, and it's a very, very tough job. This is going to be a test for John Bolton as to his integrity and ethics. Now, he is, for as long as I've known him, that's a while, he has been tough on Russia, yeah. tough on Putin. He's recognized the danger. Yeah, he's, now, he, he's will said he be publicly, seduced by power? He said publicly, he said, negotiate, uh, I want to make sure I get it right, negotiate with Russia at your peril in the past. I mean, you've known, as you said, you've known him professionally. His involvement of all this is interesting because I mean, he's been a hardliner on Russia, including about election interference, which he called a, a true act of war. Yeah, yeah it's, it's astonishing how quickly people in Washington change their tunes. Um, and they, you know, they sell out for trinkets. Well, we'll see what John Bolton does. We'll see if he puts patriotism above power. Um, mm. It's an open question. Moscow will tell us a great deal about it. Yeah, a lot to watch for. Colonel Peters, good to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you. Let's quickly check in with Chris, see what he's uh, working on for Cuomo Prime Time, starting at the top of the hour. Hey, Chris. Well, the big story, Anderson, is what we just heard from Justice Anthony Kennedy. What does it mean? We're going to go through a fact analysis of exactly what will happen. Where are the votes? What are the options for Democrats? And then we'll get into the big debate of what this might mean for the country. We also have the head, uh, the chair of the DNC on here to talk about the way forward for Democrats. They just got dealt a big situation. People are saying a blow, but I don't know. I don't know what it means for the party. I want to see what Tom Perez says the way forward is for Democrats. So we're taking those on tonight. All right. About 18 minutes from now. Chris, thanks very much. Coming up, more breaking news. A source says the former co-president of Fox News, Bill Shine, who resigned from the network in the uh, aftermath of the Roger Ailes sexual harassment scandal amid questions about how he himself handled harassment claims, has now accepted a senior position in the Trump administration. More on that ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst, Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's more breaking news tonight. The president's hired another former employee of Fox News to work in the White House. A source tells CNN Bill Shine has accepted a senior position in the administration and will likely be named deputy chief of staff in charge of communications. Shine was the co-president of Fox News, who was forced out last year, resigned in the aftermath of the Roger Ailes sexual harassment scandal after being criticized for the way that he himself handled sexual harassment allegations in the network. He uh, himself was never accused of harassment, we should point out, and denied mishandling any of the allegations that were made against Ailes. As you know, the president himself has been accused of sexual misconduct by multiple women, has a history of defending other men who have been similarly accused, from Fox CEO Roger Ailes to Fox anchor Bill O'Reilly, Roy Moore, Rob Porter. The president has had kind words for them all. Sean is also not the first TV person the president has hired. State Department spokeswoman Heather Nauert is a former Fox News anchor. Economic advisor Larry Kudlow is a CNBC contributor. National Security Advisor John Bolton is a former U.N. ambassador, also a Fox News alum, as is the communications advisor Mercedes Schlapp and the Treasury uh, official uh, Tony Sayo. So CNN political analyst Kirsten Powers, uh, who used to work at Fox News, joins me now. Uh, Kirsten, I'm wondering what you think of the, the hiring of Bill Shine. What kind of a message do you think it sends? Well, look, I mean, if you're going to talk about the fact that there are allegations, uh, uh, there were different people in different lawsuits who said that Bill Shine knew about what was going on with um, Roger Ailes. 
The president doesn't care about that. He's he's shown us time and time again that he he doesn't believe the women. He doesn't think they're telling the truth. And so that's a non-issue for him. And I, I wouldn't expect anything different in terms of what this hire means. I think it just means you basically have Fox News running out of the White House because Bill Shine was forced out in the in the midst of, you know, what was happening in terms of accusations about women. But separate from that, he's absolutely beloved at Fox News. He's been there since the very beginning. Suzanne Scott, who is now the head of Fox News, was his number two person for probably a decade or so. They were attached at the hip, so they're very close. Two-thirds of the people that work there now, including talent, exec, you know, senior executives, senior producers, EPs, all worked for Bill Shine. And what was his so, focus there? He was in charge of the entertainment division, and then there, uh, then there was another person who was a senior vice president who ran the news division. And so he ran Fox and Friends, uh, you know, O'Reilly, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity is his best friend in the entire world. Uh, so he was responsible for the five, all of the shows that were under sort of the entertainment division, the opinion, right, versus the, the news division. So a special report wouldn't have been underneath him. That said... He was Rogers number two, and so he effectively was everybody's boss. And and so he, Vox News is already very much in step with the White House, but now you have somebody who helped build Fox News, who knows how it's done, who's going to know how to craft stories, who's now for the base, for the people who voted for Donald Trump, and has, uh, you know, most of the people at Fox News adore him. And uh, and, and will you know, it'll just be a, a perfect uh, pipeline, you know, going back and forth, basically. It's interesting, though. He's, he, you know, it's been said that the, the president believes he's his own best communications director. Obviously, the president has a lot of experience with, with, with that, with communication, his own message. Um, I mean, Shine's not uh, expected to be hired, not as a communications director, which we've seen come and go, but as deputy chief of staff in charge of communications. I mean, it's right. a, it, may, it may seem like, a, you know, just a rhetorical difference, but, but there is a real difference with that. Well, there is a difference because the communications director would be more focused on communicating directly with, you know, crafting messages for the media and even typically talks to the media versus what he, it seems he would be doing, which would be a better fit, is helping craft like a broader message and packaging and putting things, uh, helping even the president understand, not that he honestly needs that much help. He's he's really in a mind meld with the Fox News viewers. But to the extent he could say, this is what really resonates with the Fox audience, Bill knows that. The other thing that I think will help him there is he knows how to be the sort of number two guy. He was somebody who, you know, was a company man. He did the work. He was well liked. And he's not somebody who will ever, he will never do something what Anthony Scaramucci did. You will never see Bill Shine go out and start mouthing off or even trying to get press for himself. That just would never happen. He's not somebody who's going to try to grab a headline for himself. Absolutely not. No, I mean, it's just, it's not who he is. It's never who he was at Fox. And also he's very good at dealing with huge personalities. Uh, Roger Ailes obviously was a, a big personality and Bill, Ry- Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. And so he, he's used to that. And so I think actually uh, th- this is a hire that makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah. Kirsten Paris, appreciate it. Thanks for your perspective. Okay. Just ahead, a late night uh, order by a federal judge threatens to disrupt an already confusing reunification process for undocumented immigrant families and their children at the southern border. Details ahead. So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting. And now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com. And when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast. Just one word and get a 15% discount. It's that simple. 
That's store.cnn.com. The Department of Defense minutes ago announced it's received a request from the Department of Homeland Security to, quote, house and care for an alien family population of up to 12,000 people, unquote. There's no word of a specific timeline, only that one will be, quote, developed. That follows a federal judge late last night throwing a big wrench into the child and family reunification process has already been marked by confusion. The judge ordered the government to reunify parents with children under five within two weeks and over five years old within 30 days. As we reported last night, there's still more than 2,000 kids separated from family members. It's not even clear if more kids are entering the system each day. It's not clear because HHS, which is responsible for the kids, hasn't given clear answers. Listen to some of the conference call that Health and Human Services had with reporters yesterday. And spoiler alert, didn't go very well. I'm wondering first, are you still receiving children who are coming into your care because of parental detention? We know that there's an implementation phase on the executive order. As we mentioned earlier, we won't be, we, we'll, we can get you that information as soon as possible and we appreciate your patience. No, actually, actually, it's really important. Are you guys still, excuse me, are you still receiving children who are there because of the parental separation policy? I believe we've answered your, you've had, you gave us three questions. We responded to your question, and I ask that you send that to media at HHS.com. I'm so sorry, I didn't hear an answer to your final question. Yeah, not really an answer. Joining me is Sunlin Serfati, who really uncovered a lot of this yesterday and, today and stayed on it today. So I understand the HHS Inspector General has initiated a review of the conditions of the facilities. What more do we know? That's right. This is a move that comes as this agency is certainly under the microscope right now. A lot of scrutiny in how they're handling these separations, how the children are being treated, and how the families will possibly be reunified. So today, this is essentially big news from the watchdog of the HHS, the inspector general, saying they're launching a nationwide review of the facilities that house these children. They say they're going to be looking at things like the employee background screenings, employee skills in the training, and response to any incidents of harm in the security at the facilities. And I found this part, Anderson, particularly interesting. The watchdog says that they will be looking at the safety and health of the kids placed in the facilities. And this is a quote, especially when the program experiences a sudden increase in the number of children. And we know based on the numbers from HHS yesterday that they are currently on the whole, about 11,800 children, 80% of those, though, they are the kids who arrived at the border unaccompanied. And as we were talking about last night, 2,047 of those are children who were separated from their parents. And, and we heard from that call yesterday. I mean, have you gotten any answers at all about questions fr- from HHS about are they getting in new kids now that are being separated still? No. No, we have not. Uh, CNN had very specific questions for HHS after that call that went unanswered. And today they still do remain unanswered. We've asked some very pointed questions, questions like, are you still receiving children who are being separated from their parents? What is the full accounting for the number of children who have been separated and reunified with either a parent or a guardian? Um, We know that there have been at least six children reunified 
side with The Guardian over the last uh, six days, but are there more? And something as simple as what are the ages of these children being held? Um, now, in response today, an HHS official did acknowledge our team's questions, but all we got back so far was, frankly, a very generic statement saying that reunification is the ultimate goal and that they're working towards that for these children. But again, no answer to our questions, which are, of course, essential and an important metric for understanding the full scope of what's going on right now. We'll, of course, continue to press them on this. Um, As you said at the top, though, um, some new information tonight did just come in the Department of Defense saying that they had received a request from the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, to house and care for, um, in their words, alien family population of up to 12,000 people. I mean, uh, you know, I guess it's good that they acknowledged our questions, but the fact they didn't actually answer the questions is pretty stunning to not even say... Uh, how old the range of kids is, what the youngest child is, what the oldest child. I mean, that's it's just incredible. Sunland, appreciate it. I know you'll stay on it. Incidentally, an official says there's no update on whether the six-year-old girl whose voice was heard on that audio recording crying because she'd been separated from her mother will be reunited. Her name, Allison uh, Jimena, is in Ar- she's in Arizona. Her mom, Cindy Madrid, is in Texas. She's one of thousands of families uncertain about their future tonight and the status of their loved ones. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Time to hand it over to Chris. Cuomo Primetime starts now. Chris? Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.